You know, sometimes in the moment that should be our biggest, tri- our biggest triumph, we experience our biggest shame. And sometimes in the moments that should be our biggest shame is where we experience our greatest triumphs. That's a quote from, well, for me, I just made that up. It's pretty good though, right? Because it's so very, very, very true. I want to make a confession. I was kind of a nerdy kid in school. It's true. I was kind of a nerdy kid, especially in elementary school. I was a little bit too chubby, and uh, I had big, thick glasses, and um, I was into computers and tabletop role-playing games and uh, Seattle grunge rock. Now, there's some places in the world where that would make you really cool. This is not one of them. <laughs> and so I was teased a lot and, and, and made fun of. And, you know, I was just not a very popular kid, like I said, especially in elementary school and junior high. And it was tough. And, and then I went through a thing in like seventh, eighth grade where I had a big falling out with the kind of circle of friends I was in at that time. And those relationships really still haven't been repaired. And uh, so I was kind of alone as well. And, and so I was, I was going into high school as, a, you know, kind of a chubby, nerdy kid with glasses and no friends. It was tough. And I was kind of afraid of what my high school years were going to be like. You know, it was kind of, kind of unnerving, and I, and I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like. And then something crazy happened. Um, you know, Hart County had just built like a, a big, fancy new football complex, right? And uh, they hired this big uh, football coach that came out of Florida to come up here and revamp the whole thing. And so this guy from out of state just happened to move in right next door to me. Right next door. I mean, in the house that we shared a yard with. And so one of the very first things that he did when he moved in is he came and knocked on my door. And I opened the door and he said, you're going to play football. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, oh, yeah, you are. And then so he skipped on by me and he went to my parents and he said, this kid's playing football. My mom was like, oh, no, he's not. Um, anyway, long story short, I played football. You had to know Dean Schwitkovic. We called him Coach C, sometimes in love and sometimes in anger and malice. But anyway, Coach C was a, a special human being. And, uh, you know, his influence in my life changed everything about me. And so I entered my uh, freshman year of high school, you know, no longer a, a nerdy kid. And I uh, had, had shed the glasses. Not that those are bad. I wear them again now. Uh, but I'd shed those and I'd lost all the extra weight. And I uh, went into my freshman year of high school in shape. Um, an and athlete that I'd never been. I'd always picked, been picked last for all the sports throughout elementary school, and, and now I just made the varsity football team and was holding my own there. And, and so I thought I was going to go in to school this transformed person, this brand new, different person that I could leave everything that I was, which I didn't leave it behind. I, I secretly was still into computers and tabletop role-playing games and Seattle grunge rock. But I talk about that a lot, right? So I thought I was going to leave me, the old me behind and walk into, into the high school as this brand new person, right? This new creation and, and leave everything that was behind. And, and, and you know, because I mean, my body had been transformed. My, my confidence had been transformed. I was, I was made new. And, and so we, we went to school the very first week of school. Remember when kids went to school? <sighs> Sorry, I'm reminiscent and hopeful at the same time. Give me a moment here. <laughs> yeah, they gave, they gave the dates, right? So we were praising Jesus. We were praising Jesus for the dates when they're going back to school. But anyway, so there used to be this ancient thing. It was, it's an ancient tradition that we used to have back in the day when we could all gather together called a pep rally, right? Anybody remember that? 
I'm sure they don't do that anymore because you can't get together and you can't talk loud and you can't have bands and cheering. And never mind, I won't get on my soapbox. I'll move on to something else. But they had a pep rally the very the end of the very first week of, of school that week on a Friday. Last thing we did in the afternoon before everybody went home, we had our first big football game that night. And, and so we're in there and the, and the crowd is going wild, man. A thousand kids in Hart County High School Gymnasium and everybody's going crazy because it's a new thing, man. And everybody loves a new thing, right? It's a new thing, got a new stadium and a new coach and a new team and all this stuff. Everybody's excited. The band is playing the fight song and the cheerleaders are out there doing the cheers and, and, and you know, all the stuff, man. Everybody's going crazy and, and it's so exciting. And, and for once I was on the other side of all that. And I was like, I can't believe where I'm at right now. This is crazy, you know, that I would be out here with, those, with these people. It's just nuts. And, and so the coach gets out there and he's introducing the team and, and we're standing there and we all look sharp, man. Our coach had a tradition where we had to dress nice on game day, right? So we had to wear a nice shirt and slacks and a tie on game day. We had to look good. It was a tradition. We had to look good like we meant something, like we cared about our appearance and ourselves. It just showed that, that our team meant something to us. And, and so, so we were out there and, 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 and dressed nice and, and ready to go. And, and he starts introducing people and he, he starts with the seniors and he introduces them and they, you know, he says something about each one, like a nickname or how hard they've worked and the position they played and all this. He's got something to say about each one. And he goes down through all the classes, finally makes it to the freshman. And, and I was the first freshman to go out. And I was so excited just to lead my classmates out there. And, and, and when, when it gets down to the first, we had a big freshman class. And when it gets to us, the crowd really goes crazy. I mean, our freshman class is just like, like making themselves known. They're just cheering. And, and so the coach comes out there and he, he, he introduces me and he talks about how I'm his neighbor and how he came over there to recruit me and how just everything about me's changed and how hard that I worked. And I was so excited. And I run out there and he calls my name and I run out there to the middle of the, of, of, of the gym floor and I'm standing there and I throw my arms up like this because everybody's cheering and they're cheering so loud and my clip on tie falls off onto the ground right at my feet and the whole crowd goes dead silent I mean I'm talking about you could have heard a pin drop nothing and I'm standing there and I'm looking down and I don't know what to do and then I hear somebody in the crowd and I wish I knew who it was man because I go and find them I wouldn't do nothing because I know Jesus now, but I just, some one guy in the crowd, he goes, it's a clip on. And then the whole crowd erupts in laughter and I'm standing there, one kid by myself and there is 1,000 teenagers in the crowd going, <laughs> and they're laughing so hard they're crying and like the coaches and teachers don't even say nothing, man, they don't know what to do either, right? Like everybody's just like laughing, just like laughing like hyenas at me and, and I'm standing there looking around, I'm a 14-year-old kid and I thought that this was my big moment, right? I'm so ashamed. I wanted to die. And I know as adults it seems silly, right? But as a kid, as a kid, like I wanted to die. Like I wish that I had never heard of football. I wish that I was from somewhere else. I was somebody asking my parents if we could move. Like I, I, I just want like I was like, maybe home, maybe they'll do homeschool. Maybe I can do homeschool. I never want to come back here again. Like my, the, the moment that was supposed to be my biggest triumph turns into my greatest shame. And, and so I reach down and pick up my tie and put it back on and go over there and just stand. It was tough. Fast forward about 10 years to an entirely different scenario. Once again, I'm standing in the middle and everybody is staring at me. And I'm ashamed 
I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of who I am right there in that moment. And I'm ashamed of the life that I'm going to have to live moving forward from there. But I wasn't in a high school gym. I was standing in a courtroom. All eyes on me. And I have done exactly what they have accused me of doing. I was on probation and I messed up my probation. And so I deserve everything that they're going to give me. And I'm looking at 10 years. Yeah, it's true, man. Some people think my testimonies are too harsh, but they're true. And I can't do anything but stand up here and tell you the truth. And so I was looking at 10 years, and I deserved every moment of it. And they, I, I, I was under the circumstance, and my lawyers were under the, the you know, um, knowledge that they had already decided what they were going to do, that I was going to be locked up that day, that I was going to you know, not, not be leaving the courtroom that day, but be leaving with them. And I'm standing up there, and you know, the judge asked me if I have anything to say for myself, and I'm like, no, just that I'm sorry. You know, I never meant for, the, for any of this to happen. And... Um, you know, I'm standing there and I remember just praying and just saying, God, I'm so sorry. And God, I'm so sorry that I have wasted every opportunity that you've ever given me. I'm so sorry that I, that I burned all those bridges. God, I'm so sorry. And most of all, I was just praying. I was like, most of all, God, I'm sorry that I'm not going to be here to be able to take care of my family. So God, would you just please take care of my family for me? And I'm just praying, standing here in this courtroom, and everybody's staring at me. And I'm standing up because it's like time, right? And I'm standing up, and I'm like, God, just please, just take care of my family. I, I, I receive whatever I've got to receive, God, and I promise I'll come out a better man. But just please just take care of my family because, I mean, you know, Logan was not even one yet. Logan's not even one. I mean, he's just been born, and, 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 and I'm, I'm in there, and, and I don't know. I don't know what's going to do. I'm just, I'm just like, God, I'm just so sorry, and I'm so ashamed of everything that I've done. And I'm so ashamed of everything that I've been. And I'm so ashamed of what I'm going to do. And I'm just sorry, God. Just please take care of my family. And then the judge says, I want to hear from your probation officer. And I was like, no. That guy hates me. And then I was ashamed again of how mean that I had been to this dude. And so he calls him right here in the middle of the courtroom. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. They're not going to put me in the jail. They're going to put me under the jail, even if I make it to the jail. And so, yeah, so my, my probate, I'm, I'm like hoping he's not going to answer, right? And I'm like, God, don't let him answer. God, please, just let him answer. Let him not be home. Anyway, answers the phone, and right here in the middle of the courtroom on speakerphone, like he can, you can hear what this guy's saying, and he's like, um, you know, I'm here with Paul Grider. He's one of your, you know, people, and he's like, yeah, I know him. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you think about Mr. Grider? And I'm just bracing myself. I'm like, golly, this is bad enough already. And all of a sudden, I hear not the voice of my PO. All of a sudden, I hear the voice of God come over this phone. And I hear this gentleman say, I, I believe that Mr. Grider has a renewed focus. He said, I believe that with the birth of his child, that Mr. Grider is going to be a brand new man. He said, I believe that Mr. Grider, if given the opportunity will complete this program with flying colors and become a productive member of society. And I was like, what? It's like, maybe he's got me mixed up with someone else. And then the judge says, so you're willing to keep him in your, you know, under your care? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I'll be glad to. He said, I believe that this is going to be one of our success stories. 
And, and I was just floored. I, I was just absolutely floored. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know what to think except just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so the judge says, okay. And he said, so this is what we're going to do. He says, Mr. Grotter, you're going to go home today. He said, and we're not even going to put any new restrictions on you. We're going to keep everything the same. He said, because I believe the same thing that this man believes. He said, I believe that you have renewed focus, and I believe that you're going to complete this program, and I believe that you are going to become a productive member of society. He said, but listen, I don't ever, ever, ever want to see your face in here again. And I was like, oh, no, I promise I promise that you will never, ever, 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 ever lay eyes on me in here again. And so that day I walked out of that room in the moment of my biggest shame, experiencing one of the biggest triumphs of God that I had ever encountered in my life. I walked out of there with a promise that I had made but also with a promise that I had received. And that promise is that the grace of God is bigger than my issues. The grace of God is bigger than my past decisions. And the grace of God is bigger than anything that the world can ever throw at me because I know that all his promises are yes and amen. And I walked out of there that day and I want you to know that he never, ever, 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 ever saw me in there again. Until I came to give a testimony of what God had done in my life. Can somebody give the Lord a shout of praise this morning at the Way Church? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm in the book of Romans in chapter 1. One of the most awesome scriptures in all of the Bible. And it says this, starting in verse 14, I'm obligated both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed. This is one of the most awesome scriptures in all the Bible. I need you guys to listen to this and feel this and know this, right? I need you to, to know this and to feel this and to really memorize this verse. Romans 1.16 we affectionately, those that are fans of the great Andy Minio, call it uno, uno, seis, right? Romans 1.16, the Bible says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to how many people? Everyone. How many? Everyone. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live uh, by faith. Pray with me this morning. God, we come to you this morning praising your name, unashamed of who you are and unashamed of who we are in you. And God, this morning, I pray that your word gets unleashed today. I pray that your spirit flows freely. I pray that the power of your love breaks chains, open, opens prison doors, tears down towers, fills altars, and saves and heals and delivers in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give God a shout of praise, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Ah. 
I like how this verse is put in the <clears throat> translation. What? Fine. I like how it's put in the passion translation. Big win for Nikki and Carly and Beth Cooper and Savannah Judd and all them people. The Passion Translation puts it like this. Love obligates me. I'm obligated by love. Love obligates me to preach to everyone. How many? To those who are among the elite uh, and to those who are among the outcasts. To those who are wise and to those who are foolish and unlearned. Love obligates me. The King James puts it like this. I'm in debt to the Greek and to the barbarian. I know I'm on either side of the spectrum, right? I'm in the Passion Translation and the 1611 King Jimmy version. I know. We'll meet somewhere in the middle like this. I'm in debt by love. I'm in debt by love. And that's good debt. I'm sorry, Adam. It's good debt. It's good debt. See, there's two ways to be in debt, and I didn't even realize that until this week when I was studying this scripture. See, if I borrow something from you and then I have to pay you back, I'm indebted to you. So if you loan me some money and I go buy something with it, then I have to pay you back that money, I'm in debt to you. But that's not the only way to be in debt. If you give me something to give to somebody else, I'm indebted to them. You understand? So like when you guys come up after church, it's like, hey, pastor, here's my money for the offering and put it in my hand, which I... It's really scary because sometimes I don't know what happens to the things that people put in my hand. One time I lost Chris Klein's whole songbook. It was terrible. And I don't know if you may not be musicians, but musicians like have these songbooks that they make and like has all their chords, all their songs and all their stuff in them. And they're like these binders and it's like the Bible to them almost like to worship leaders. It's like second to the Bible, right? And so Chris Klein used to be one of our worship leaders here at church. He's worship leader at River Lake. And he called me on the phone. He's like, man, I left my songbook there. Can you grab it? And I was like, I see it right here. I'll get it for you, dude. And then the next, and I picked it up and I had it in my hand. And then the next day, Klein's called me. He's like, hey, man, can I come back and get that songbook? And I was like, where is the songbook? Still hasn't been found. It's been six years ago. Still haven't found that songbook. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, yeah, so, so one day he left his guitar there, right, here at church, and he called and was like, hey, I left my guitar there. Somebody besides Paul get my guitar. Do not let him touch it. But anyway, when people do give me the offering, and they're like, you put, my, put this money in the offering for me, until I give that money to our blessed treasurer, like I'm indebted to the church. Does that make sense? I'm indebted to the church. If, if Jennifer comes to me and hey, says, hey, let me give you this to give to Kay. Until I give this to Kay, I'm indebted to Kay for that. Same thing works in the kingdom of God. When God gives you something to give to somebody else, you're indebted to them. If you have experienced the love of God, the only thing that God has asked you to do besides experience that love is to share it with the world around you. And so guess what? If you've experienced the love, the power, the grace, the glory, the healing, the transformation of the kingdom of God, then you owe that to the world around you. God wants some change, but he don't want it back. He wants you to pay it forward. See, God bought you at a high price, but guess what? What he gave you was worth more than you are. And so there's still value left, 
But we're supposed to take that value and invest it in the world around us. We're indebted. We're obligated by love to share love. Obligated by love to pour out love. Obligated by love to speak love into the world around us. Man, we're indebted to the broken world. Isn't that messed up? But guess what? We have all the currency that we could ever need to pay every single one of those debts. Obligated by love. Can't believe I just preached out of the Passion Translation. But it's so good. It was so good. I'm obligated. I'm obligated by Love, man, we owe the love of God because we've received the love of God because it's enough for us and it's also enough for them because there's a never-ending fount that never, ever, ever runs dry. And if we need to go back and get more and fill our bucket up again, it's always flowing and we can always go get our bucket and fill it up again. You know, that, that, that day when Jesus was at the well with that woman and he said, can you give me a drink? And she said, what are you talking about? You ain't even got a bucket. And Jesus was like, I am the bucket the never-ending flow. And so then when that lady left from the well, she knows she left her bucket there beside the well. She didn't even need it anymore. You know why? Because she became the bucket. Because she was now filled with God's love to go out and share what she'd been filled with with the world around her. She owed it to him. She experienced the love of God and now she owes the love of God. Man, we're obligated to share the love of God with everybody. Greeks and barbarians. I like the Passion Translation again here. With the elite and the outcast. Some people have trouble sharing God's love with, with, with one of those or the other. And, and, and I don't have any trouble sharing love, God's love with the outcast because I am one of those people. I'm one of those. I'm, I'm not the 99. I'm the one in case you were ever wondering. I'm the one. Like when people say it seems silly that he would leave the 99 and go after one. <laughs> I'm that one every day, all day. But you know, God's called me to reach the 99 too. Somebody say Amen. We're to share God's love with the wise and the unwise, with the elite and the outcast. Man, God's love is for everybody. The ones that think they have it all figured out and the ones they know that know that they don't and everybody in between. God's love is for the know-it-alls and the know-nothings. God's love is for everybody. And if you've experienced that love, you're obligated to show it to them. You're obligated. We're indebted to the world around us to introduce them to Jesus Christ. If you know him, you better show him. If you know him, you need to introduce the whole world to him. To him. And that brings us to one of the most incredible verses in all of the Bible. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power. Not it has the power. Not it talks about the power. Not it leads us to the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, I'm not ashamed of who I was because of who he is. I'm not ashamed of who I am now because of who he is. I'm not ashamed of who he's calling me to be because of who he is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to every single person on the face of this earth that will believe. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter what's been done to them. The gospel is the power of God for everyone. Everyone. And I'm not ashamed of what God has done in my life. And, and you know, some people tell me sometimes that I, that I shouldn't talk about all that stuff, man. And they're like, man, that's harsh, dude. You, 
You'll let some of that stuff go. But no, no, I'm, I'm not ashamed of what God has done in my life. As a matter of fact, what he's done in my life makes my testimony even more powerful because of how far that he's brought me. I'm not ashamed of the stuff that I did. I'm not ashamed of who I was. I'm not because of him, because of the gospel of Christ. And I'm not ashamed of where I'm at now in life. You know, sometimes we sit down and go, man, I should be further along. Man, I should be doing better. No, man, I'm not ashamed of who God has made me because of him. And, and I'm not ashamed to go anywhere and do anything for him because of the gospel of Christ. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And if I keep my eyes focused on him the whole way, he'll never lead me wrong. And, and why would I be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, there's a few reasons. Because if it wasn't possible to be ashamed of the gospel, then the Apostle Paul wouldn't have written this to encourage us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's actually a few reasons why you could be. Not that you should be, because you never should be. There's a few reasons why you could be. Number one is because of who we were. You know, my, my testimony is kind of rough in some circles in some places, but it's not near as rough as the dude that wrote this scripture. He killed Christians. He had them burned alive. He, he had them chained up and fed to lions. He devoted his whole life to destroying the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he could have been ashamed about that. I mean, he could have let that keep him from becoming the man of God that God desired and designed him to be. He could have let that shame overcome him because of what he had done and who he had been. And I think too many of us do that. I mean, we let that shame of who we were overcome who God wants us to be. And we stay focused even when we receive God and we, we get his forgiveness, we experience the power of his love, his love, and his Holy Spirit. We still stay back here stuck in the old life of who we were because of what the world thinks about us and the labels and the tags that they have put on us. What did Paul would have did? that what if he would have stayed in that shame what if he would have received that shame and owned it and made it his and and, and just stayed there oh I've, I've hurt people oh I've I've, I've killed people oh I, I, I came against the very Christ that saved me and he just let that shame cripple him he could have done that he could have done that he could have let that shame hurt him what about this what if he would have never even admitted it pride is a nasty nasty thing you ever been too deep into an argument to let it go? I'm talking about in deep, right? I'm talking about in deep. Yeah, so yeah, I see spouses looking at each other. Y'all better quit. Just stay, look, look straight ahead. Look at me, it's fine. Just look straight ahead. Yeah, yeah, tunnel vision. Yeah, keep your eyes focused. Yeah, don't, don't look at her. <laughs> don't look at him, just eyes forward. But have you ever been so deep in and, and you're deep in, like you've done yelled all the yells, you've done slammed all the doors in the house, you've done posted the nasty post on the Facebook. I mean, you're in deep. I mean, you're in deep, right? You're in deep. And then all of a sudden, like, I mean, you're waiting in it, right? You're waiting in this argument, like you didn't tell everybody all the stuff, right? Use some words you wish you hadn't abused and, and just been where you knew that you shouldn't have gone. And then a light bulb clicks on. And you're like, oh my I'm wrong. But you're looking back, and like the way back to dry land is like a long way, right? And it's a long, shameful walk to get back there because what you're going to have to do is make that admission 
And, and make this proclamation of, yeah, you know, all the yells that I yelled and all the, you know, things that I said and all the names I called and the posts that I'm going to have to take down off the Facebook. And I don't guess I can unslam the doors, but I guess maybe I can open them and close them gently. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, do all the stuff and you're going to have to take all that stuff back. But pride doesn't want us to do that, does it? Pride wants us to keep going because there's some shame to be had in going back. And we want to avoid that at all costs. And so instead of doing what we know is the right thing to do and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm sorry, I know that I went deep out here. I realize that. I repent for all that stuff, like the whole way, right? The whole walk, I repent for it all. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and, and too often we don't do that. And I wonder how many marriages have been dissolved because one or the other or both was unwilling to do that because they were in too deep. And, and they knew that they were wrong and they could have turned it around, but they chose not to because their pride wouldn't let them. I wonder how many sons and daughters are estranged from their parents right now because one side or both are unwilling to go to the other one and say, hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I wonder how many business deals have broken down in the middle because, you know, and, and caused everybody a, a lot of, of you know, business affluence because one side or the other was unwilling to say, hey, we messed up. We messed up. Could you give us another chance? I just wonder how many relationships have been destroyed and how many incredible opportunities of God have been destroyed because somebody was in too deep and unwilling to turn around. And can you imagine how deep that the Apostle Paul was in that shame? He had dedicated his entire life to destroying Christianity only to realize that Christianity was true. He devoted his entire life uh, to claiming that Jesus Christ was a heretic and a sinner and a charlatan only to meet him on the road to Damascus and experience him for real and see him face to face and know that he was the God of salvation. Can you imagine? I mean, dedicated his life to it. He, in the Bible, he says, there was no better Pharisee than me. No, none better. He said, I was the one. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin where the first king came from. I did it all. And, 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 and yet, in that moment, he realized that he was wrong. He could have stayed the course, though. He could have tucked that in the back of his mind and ignored it because we do it way too often. I don't know about you, but I've experienced some truths in my life that I have pushed aside. You know what I did with them? Y'all don't even see that there. Nobody's seen it. And even if you did, you missaw what you thought you sawed. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see. But the Apostle Paul didn't do that. Instead, he went incredibly the opposite way. Instead, what he did was to go in front of anybody that would listen and say, hey, I didn't just mess up. I messed up bigger than anybody has ever messed up. Like, some people make mistakes, but I make mistakes bigger than that. Like, some people do things wrong, but I'm the biggest wrongdoer that you've ever seen in your entire life. He said, you may have sinned, but I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I, I, I did it all. He said, the biggest wrong that could ever be wronged in the whole world, I wronged it. Like as dumb as you could ever be, I'm dumber than that. Because the, the decision that he had turned his back on is eternity, you understand? What is the reality of Jesus Christ is the gospel. And, and, and he repented of that in front of everybody, in front of anybody and everybody that would listen. And, and so he turned his back on what was and everything that he believed and he went the right way very publicly. Very publicly. And that's why he has to proclaim here, I'm unashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I was. 
I'm not ashamed. But I mean, another reason that he could have been ashamed is where he was at right then. But he could have been ashamed because of the things that he had had to suffer for the gospel. He could have been ashamed because of the experiences that he was having and the encounters he was having because he was preaching the gospel. Listen to this. It says this in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 24. It says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes was a death sentence. And so 40 lashes minus one is a death sentence minus one, right? They knew it took about 40 lashes to kill somebody. He got 39 twice. He said, there was... Three times that I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from the rivers, danger from uh, the bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the city, danger from the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. That's a lot of danger. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak? I don't feel weak. Who's led into sin? I don't burn inwardly. Having suffered all that shame, he's not ashamed. You see, people can shame you, but you don't have to become ashamed. People can throw all that shame at you, but you don't have to receive it. You don't have to own that. You don't have to be that. And he refuses to. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul knows that the value of what he has supersedes everything that he's had to suffer for it. The value of what he has within him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's worth more than anything that the world can throw at him. And so he's not ashamed of anything that he has to suffer. As a matter of fact, in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, the Bible says this in, in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Man, God has paid your debt. In Jesus, he has given over abundantly more than you could ever imagine. And we just owe some change back. But not just, because it's not just for our gain. It's for the gain of the people around us. The love that God has poured out on us, man, it's for you. Yes, receive all of it so you can get your hands on. Receive every single bit. But don't just hold on to it. Man, let it go. We owe a debt. Not to him. He paid that debt for us. We are obligated by the love we've been given to share the love we've been given with the world around us. Obligated by love. Obligated. The third reason that Paul could have been ashamed of the gospel is the situation that he knew that he was going into. He'd been called to go and share the gospel in Rome. Do you think that it's hard to be a Christian in the United States of America? Imagine trying to be a Christian in Rome, where Christians were beheaded on the regular, burned at the stake, thrown to the lions, laughed at, ridiculed. Every part of our, our way of life was a joke to them. And they reacted violently to every situation that, that we put ourselves in. And, and Paul could have been upset about that. I mean, he could have been, been terrified and ashamed knowing that he was going into a place where he would be attacked, where he would be ridiculed, where he would be mostly ignored. That's a shameful thing to think that I've devoted my whole life to this thing and they're going to ignore me. If they do hear me, they'll probably laugh at me. If I make too big of a ruckus, they'll kill me. And you know what? He was right. They did kill him. They drug him out in the town square and cut his head off in front of everybody. And you know what? I'm sure that he loved every minute of it. Because in the book of Philippians in chapter 1, he wrote this, to die is gain, to live is Christ. But I'd rather come be with you 
unashamed of where he was going unashamed of what he had been called to do, not caring what kind of resistance that he was going to face, not caring what kind of ridicule that he was going to come under, not caring even the kind of public humiliating death that he was going to die, unashamed of what was going on in the world around him. You know why? Because he was carrying with him something that Rome didn't have. See, Rome was all about power, right? I mean, Rome was all about power. Anybody that's a history buff knows that. They had the most powerful military in all the world. Nobody could stand against the kingdom of Rome. They were all about power. Their sentences were, were about power. Their, their, even, their, even their religion was just about having power and control. And, and, and most of all, like I said, their military might was unmatched. They were all about power. There was nothing more powerful in the world than Rome except one thing. That was more powerful than Rome could ever be. Because see, Romans 1 and 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It's the power of God. And so when you think about that, I want you to think about this. Rome fell, but Jesus rose. Can you give him praise at the way church this morning? As powerful as they were, they were no match for the gospel of the living God. And so even though that country lies in ruins, the gospel of Christ thrives, thrives because it is the power of God. Verse 17 says this, for, it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is writ written, the righteous will live by faith. And faith overcomes fear. Faith overcomes debt. Faith overcomes pain. Faith overcomes shame. And faith even overcomes death. It even overcomes death. <laughs> Listen to this, man. Hebrews 12, it says this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, they tried to shame Jesus at every turn. They tried to shame Jesus at every turn. They didn't accept him in his hometown when he revealed to the people in Nazareth who he was. They ran him out of town, tried to throw him off a cliff. They shamed him. When he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. They shamed him. When all of his disciples abandoned him and Peter forsook him, they shamed him. When they drug him through the streets and, and beat him and, and, and took him to the, the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas, they, they shamed him. When they stripped him of his robe and dressed him up like a king and put a crown of thorns on his head, they shamed him. When they beat him about the head and face with a rod, when they, they drugged those, they, they drove those, those thorns into his head, when they plucked his beard off of his face, they shamed him. When they tied him to a whipping post in the center of town and beat him with the cat of nine tails, they shamed him. When they made him carry his cross up Golgotha's hill, they shamed him. When they nailed him to the center cross between two thieves, they shamed him. 
when they watched him die and cast lots for his clothes, they shamed him. When they took him down off the cross and they threw him in a borrowed grave and rolled the stone up, they shamed him. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it says he despised the shame. You know what that means? He didn't take ownership of any of it. They threw it at him and none of it stuck. They called him this and they called him that and none of it took root. They attacked him with this shame and they attacked him with that shame and he never became ashamed of who he was for the joy that was set before him. You know, the Apostle Paul put it like this, that the suffering we experience now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus And so even though they shamed him this way and they shamed him that way and they tried to pour all the shame that the world had to offer down on him on the third day, my Savior, my King rose unashamed. Can you say amen? Unashamed. Unashamed of who he was. Unashamed of who he'd been. Unashamed of who he was going to be. And if you've experienced the power of God's love, If you have experienced the the glory of his Holy Spirit in your life, then you too have nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. You have no reason to be ashamed of who you were because the power of God is in the gospel. You have no reason to be ashamed of who you are right now because the power of God is in the gospel. And you have no reason to let shame and guilt keep you from being the person that God has called you to be because the power of God is in the gospel of Christ. So I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I've been. I'm not ashamed because it's a testimony of the power of God. I'm not ashamed of who I am now because even though I struggle a lot, The gospel is enough for me. And I'm not ashamed to live out anything that God calls me to do, to go anywhere that he leads me to go, to say anything that he calls me to say, to become anything that he would bid me to become. Because the gospel is the power of God. Is the power of God. You have nothing to be ashamed of if you've experienced the glory of God. Man, if you're a blood-bought, grace-covered, spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Because, guys, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. None. Your slate has been wiped clean. You know, sometimes people come to me looking for the person that I used to be. I have to direct them to a graveyard somewhere because that old me is dead and buried. Can I tell you about him? Sure I can. Can I speak as him? Nope. He's dead and gone. Preached a sermon a couple of years ago called Dangerous Grace. God's grace is dangerous because it will kill the old you. 
and leave it in the grave. But the most dangerous thing about it is that the grace of God will bring you to life. And that's not dangerous for you, but it's dangerous for the kingdom of darkness. It's dangerous for all those other people that you're indebted to to go and share that grace with because you know what? That grace will kill the old them too. That's what we're called to do. We owe it to them. We owe it to the world to share with them what we've been given. We owe it to the people that are still in bondage to tell them we have the key. We owe it to them that are still trapped in that darkness to walk across the waters of sin in their life and reach down our hand and pull them free. We owe it to them. Love obligates me. Love obligates me to love. Love indebts me to love. So I don't have to be ashamed. I, I will not be ashamed of who I was because of him. I will not be ashamed of who I am now because of him. And I will not be ashamed of who I am to become because of him.